ngicela ukuthi isikhulume ngendaba ye Africans namhlanje um I would like us to have a constructive uh, conversation around indaba ye Africans in schools um ngivuke ngihlumeze yakho namhlanje I think I have been for the past couple of days just not been in a good space um particularly because I feel I feel trapped I feel um imposed on I feel um somewhat despondent and defeated because in this day and age ngo 2020 sisakhuluma udabale africans my children speak three languages sisuthu isizulu proper isingisi english they manage and in fact when it comes to the school curriculum as a language they do quite well in it for people who started uh, being exposed or fully exposed to the language uh, about a year ago they get all Cs and Bs yet here is this african state is a fourth language you fail my children because they failed africans and you fail them having having aced maths having aced other subjects you fail my children on the basis of failing africans as a second language but you have not given me an option yesizulu yesisuthu shivenda stonga any other indigenous language yesikhosa any other indigenous language you have not given me an option of any other indigenous language that of course is actress ayanda boroto the clip is from her social media on instagram Um she shared this last year and I believe this is an opinion that many people share in South Africa. Today on why is that we look at the why behind Afrikaans and its impact on the South African education system. Stay with us. Hi Kakhiso, welcome to Why is that? Before we get started, if you could just tell our listeners who you are, what you do and in what part of the world. <laughs> Perfect. Hi, hi Gabs. You know, long time. Um but yeah, long story <laughs> short, my name is My name is Gahisho Masai. I'm a bit of a finance professional, uh but then at the same time I'm also um an edutech startup co-founder. I'm the co-founder and um chief operating officer of a startup called Metric Life. What we basically do is that we are a digital platform that um caters or provides a learning platform for learners from grade 10 to 12. and what we do is that we give them learning content over and above learning content we give them assessments as well as a gamified component for them to take each other on and rate each other what we then also do is that we look at reporting and we try to use the reports and the behavioral analytics to help learners or institutions or anybody that's interested in their journey so yeah i'm just passionate about education and everything tech basically that's amazing i think edutech is um one of my areas of interest i always think to myself if i wasn't doing this i'd definitely try and put my hands in the ring to help bring the country up to speed at that in that space and i think just to get into like what we're talking about here is you know it's quite important that we as south africans reflect on where our education system is sitting we're always saying you know education is um the key to a brighter future it's going to unlock opportunities but we, are we actually looking at if that key still unlocks the right opportunities of tomorrow and i think one of the things that's been annoying at me is this idea of um 
Afrikaans in schools and, and, and how, you know, a language like that can hold back a student if they don't pass it for a particular term. So I kind of wanted to get together with you and have a chat about that and do some reflecting. What, what are your thoughts around this, um, you know, learners still having to grapple with um, Afrikaans in school? I've got a very strong belief on this, right? And and for me, yeah. the whole concept of Africans still holding so much power within our learning system, um, it goes to show you the power of the law, right? Um, and reality is the law can either liberate you or it can exacerbate how situations are. Now, my problem here is that... Yeah. You know, yes, as South Africa, we've got a beautiful constitution. It was written, but that constitution was written under the assumption that we were all equal at that point in time. Now, what, mm. that, what that technically does is that it plays a very strong role in keeping things as is. And unfortunately, how things were when it was drafted and then passed, there was a huge division in education and the system in institutions and in the mediums that uh, learners are being taught in. Now, what you then find yeah. yourself in the situation that we are in is that you find yourself now structurally maintaining injustices of the past, you know, because education takes many different forms, right? And also a big part about education is not just technical expertise. It's about comprehension. Now, what you need to understand mm. is that if it's about comprehension, it, it means that if you have an Afrikaans learner and um, a Tswana learner in the same school and they are learning Afrikaans, what that does is that already from an inequality perspective, the Tswana learner is already significantly behind, right? And, wow. and, and, yeah. and, and what that does is that you are maintaining the very same injustices we are trying to fix without realizing it. That is the first big problem I have with this situation. And then now you look at the point of saying, okay, how do you fix it? Because the law is mm. what it is, it takes a lot for you to now go retrospectively change the constitution. Because reality is that if you are going to say now, let's do the same with Setswana, or let's do away with Africans. That very same constitution and that very same law protects the Africans learner or the Africans institution because you are now disadvantaging them and they are protected by the law. You know, so yeah. we, we are only realizing like the unintended consequences of implementing something that was drafted with the assumption that we are equal, but the point at which it was implemented, we were not equal. That is the first mm. big problem that we do have here. And unfortunately, what it does is that we have a situation where most of the good schools, it did have it. You, it's very tough to undo it. And now the reliance is on institutions themselves having leaders and decision makers that are objective enough to say we actually need to open up or improve the way we communicate. So now the onus is actually on founders of schools, owners of schools, as well as educators to be open-minded. And that's very tough to implement on a big scale. Yeah, that's so that's so true. I think you've, you've said a number of like really critical things there. But the thing that I think stands out for me, and you've kind of gotten to the heart of what's been bothering me, is 
the maintenance of something that was implemented at a different time, right? And and I, I always say, you know, the reason for putting those languages in place, there may be many reasons, but I suppose it is to look at whether a learner can communicate in, um, for example, English, which is a commercial language. Um, so if you cannot communicate in the language of um, commercial activity, then you will struggle going into industries, various industries in South Africa. So there is something that's still useful there, but we haven't really looked like what else is it that learners need? So is there another language that learners need to be able to participate in the commercial uh, and social environments going forward? Like, could it be a language of code, for example, that's more useful than Afrikaans now? And I I don't know if we're really looking critically enough and where we're sitting, I think we're just kind of like giving learners what we've always given learners and, and, and it's starting to kind of fall short. And you are correct. It's the lack of critical thinking. You know, um, one thing that I do realize, right, is also because of how South Africa is structurally, Africans still has like a strong foothold, right? Certain industries still want it. So let's say there's that whole concept also of creating jobs, you know, for the workers that you have, not that you want. Um, and, and unfortunately, because like, let's say the farming landscape still has Africans as a strong medium. Maybe it is good for certain people that are going in agriculture to know, you know, um, um, unfortunately, a, a fair share of our legal documents are drafted in Africans as well. You know, it, it still has such a strong play in how we do a lot of things. But then that's when you're looking at industries that have existed and that have kind of been the lifeblood of, of, of our economy. But reality is what got us to where we are now is not necessarily what's going to get us to where we're going or where we should be. And you need a transition. You need a balance. Also, it comes down to maybe how the education system is structured. Um, the fact that we are almost treating kids like it's almost like a sausage machine, right? Everyone is just forced down the same funnel, you know, forced down the same funnel because we assume they're going to do the, the, the same thing. Um, maybe let's identify career paths at a much earlier stage. And once that is been identified what specialization is going to be, then the whole requirement of specific languages can then ease up. Because at no point whatsoever, at no point, and I mean absolutely no point whatsoever, should it be the point that I'm still doing Africans if let's say I'm going into code, you know, like a software development. And these are the things that we must be thinking about. And you almost need collaboration between the public education system, as well as the private education system, as well as like, you know, the businesses that we're operating in, you know, the landscape that we find ourselves in. And 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 I've, I mean, I even spoke about this just, you know, um, not so long ago that it's a collaborated effort. Yeah, you know, it's super interesting. Yeah. It is a collaborated effort. It's quite interesting, like how this conversation starts to bubble up, right? Because people are looking for alternatives. Um, they're looking to educate their kids in a way that suits the kid rather than suits um, the sausage factory, <laughs> yeah. to follow your analogy. Um, and, and it's an interesting moment for all of us who are in various industries, whether it's communication, uh, finance, or even ed tech like you 
to start bringing these things to the fore. And and that's that. Reality is, you know, what still has not been done, but kids are still being born. Kids are still coming through the schooling system. What still has not been done, especially from a South African perspective, is us clearly defining maybe what critical skills are needed. You know, um, and yeah. it's yeah. very easy for us to follow what's in the urban or what's in the first world economies, right? It's very easy for us to yes. say the U.S. or whichever country is prioritizing the fourth industrial revolution it's prioritizing automation and everything you know but what we haven't done because reality and and it's both a gift and a curse south africa's problems are unique south africa's problems yeah. are, are so south african that it's very tough to bring in a blueprint from somewhere else and you will have it work as it's supposed to here because we are I think the only nation, and, and like I stand corrected, where our economic distribution, you still find 80%, you know, of the population or of a specific type still being economically disadvantaged. Generally, there's inequality everywhere or most places, but where you find is that you find distribution still lives with the majority ethnicity in that space, you know? So now what you have is mm-hmm. that you have you have a big part of the nation still trying to figure themselves out, still trying to find a place. And then us trying to make this economy receptive for all the people that exist here. But now what it yeah. does is that what it does is that you go on and assume scenarios that exist somewhere else, forgetting our current socioeconomic situation. And until you have different parties and entities coming down, especially in education and sitting down and saying, what's the shortfall in South Africa? You know, are we still mm. really like, are we really still like, does it still make sense for us, you know, to still, let's say, be promoting a certain kind of profession when maybe we may need more engineers, when maybe we may need more software developers, you know, like right. the, the, the rate at which, I mean, certain careers are still at a premium in South Africa is because there's a shortage of certain skills, but I don't know if we have done the kind of study study that shows that maybe just maybe, yes, the logical thing is to be, or I mean, the safest thing is to be an attorney, but have you ever considered this because this is the kind kind of industry that we need? Mm. And, 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 and sadly, those kind of um, solutions need a lot of work. It needs people that have grit. It needs people that are willing to question and it also needs a system or a government that's willing to embrace new ways of doing things, you know. Um, and there's no Absolutely. right or wrong answer. There's no right or wrong answer. But I'm still worried that we are doing a lot of things that were done, well, that were being done decades ago. Yeah, no, 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 100%. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, you know, I'm quite energized by the point you're making because people talk a lot about, um, you know, looking after majorities and, and indeed in, in so many ways in South Africa, the majority is the least taken care of when, when people are coming up with solutions for various issues. But one of the things that you make me um, think about is when you go to government departments, for example, like uh, home affairs or whatever other government department where you've got forms to fill out. Um, and, and I still see that it's Afrikaans and English, whereas I think the majority in, in South Africa, uh, um, and I stand to be corrected myself, we'll fact check this again, 
um, understand Isizulu more than any other language. Um, but you don't see that coming through um, as a secondary option on a form you have to fill out for arguably one of the most um, critical things in life, which is identity. And I find that, like, you know, I find, I, I'll be honest, I find it quite irritating, which is not to pick on one particular language, but to look at what we are doing as a, as a country. Like, are we making things comprehensive? Or are we actually excluding people by continuing down the same path? That's the point. And, and I still maintain, you know, you will find that even changing those forms, right, um, um, there's probably even a legal implication to it if, let's say, you're going to exclude Africans. Or it means that if you're going to include more languages, then there's an economic implication of which maybe the department of the government is, you know, is not willing to accommodate. And the fact is, Inclusivity comes at a cost, especially when you still have such a massive bulk of your nation not fully catered for. And I always say in weather's gray, you know, where you can't really find, you know, a right or wrong answer. That's where decisive leadership is needed the most. Somebody needs to take a stance, right? This thing of standing in the middle of not wanting to make anyone angry actually makes things worse. And it comes down to somebody must just make a call and say, this is what we're going to do. Because if you're going to be in a leadership position and want to please everyone, then you're not going to really get anything done. And and we need to look at our nation's needs, not at what keeps people happy. You know, those tend to be two totally different things. I think you've completely, you've completely summed it up. And I'm happy to drop the mic there. Just to recap one thing that really resonates with me, inclusivity comes at a cost. I think that is the point of the moment right now. Um, Everybody wants to talk inclusivity, diversity, but nobody wants to take money and put it towards fixing the problem that was created through spending a lot of money. Exactly. Um, I think you've summarized it pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm happy um, to go, you know what, that's the T-shirt. Inclusivity comes at a cost. It is what it is. You know, um, too many people are tippy-toeing around this thing. You know, Uh, people say say if you take a stance, you know, for a certain segment or for a certain group that is disadvantaged, you may alienate existing groups that are of the other side. That if you really believe in it, that must be the risk that you're willing to take. And there is, you know, um, a subtle undocumented cost to that. Um, reality yeah. is you need to believe in the cause. You know, if you're really saying you want to change our education system, you want a more inclusive ed- education system, or you want, you know, eight out of 10 South African children in the classroom to feel like this education system is for them, then you actually going to need to step on certain toes or make some people angry. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for joining us today. That was quite an energizing conversation. And I'm glad that we are at least thinking and talking about these issues. Great stuff. No, no problem. And thank you so much for inviting me. Really interesting conversation with Gahiso. One of the things that I reflected on after our conversation is the legacy of the 76 uprising. People died opposing Afrikaans as the language of medium in schools. And that means a lot. It creates a heaviness 
when discussing the issue of Afrikaans' impact in schools and the fact that there are students who would be held back a grade because they do not pass Afrikaans. When you think about it with that lens, it becomes a much heavier conversation and one that feels like it isn't being treated with the requisite urgency. Next, I'm chatting to Leah. I read a paper of hers where she argued for the retention of Afrikaans in schools. I thought that was quite interesting and I wanted to have a conversation with her and see what it is that makes her feel like it is important to keep a language like Afrikaans in our school system. Stay with us. I'm Khabi Mudao. Welcome to Why Is That? Today I'm uh, with my guest, Leah. She's going to do a much better introduction of herself than I could ever master up. Leah, could you please tell us who you are, what you do, and in what part of the world? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Leah Snyman. I studied a BA at Stellenbosch University, and I'm still currently in Stellenbosch. Um, I used to work as a freelance journalist, and I'm currently working for Uliza, which is a language services company whose goal is kind of just to make sure that anybody can have access to information no matter what their home language is. That's pretty incredible. Could you tell us a little bit more about your work at Uliza? Sure. Um, so I'm a project manager there, so I have to just help them make sure that their projects um, run smoothly and that we have access to a bunch of different translators. Um, so we do a lot of work um, in South Africa, but also just the African and Asian continents in general, um, because they tend to be the ones that aren't that well served. So we do a lot of, you know, cross-continental things and also just, for example, um, a lot of health information. Um, for example, with the COVID um, pandemic currently, making sure that everybody in South Africa has access to the information um, so that it's available in their home language. Incredible. So lots of work around languages and in particular home languages. Yes. That's wonderful. So we were asking ourselves, and, and this is the topic for the podcast, Afrikaans is one of the languages that we have in the South African education system. Many students are given um, English and Afrikaans as the key languages that they have to take. Um, and, and we're wondering, like, why is that? You know, um, I personally took Afrikaans in school, and I think a lot of us did that aren't uh, native Afrikaans speakers. We kind of want to bounce around some ideas and get into the thinking. I read an article of yours in the Daily Maverick, which um, kind of piqued my interest, and I thought it would be lovely to chat to you about your opinion. So in, in that article particularly, you are talking about decolonizing um, education by including Afrikaans. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so I think definitely the reasons why English and Afrikaans tend to be the languages that are promoted is because these are the languages that historically have had the most resources and um, that have a lot more privilege. Um, and people kind of get a bit nervous when we talk about privilege and so on. Um, yeah. But that is very much the reason why, for example, Afrikaans has so much more resources um, than any other South African languages, such as Zulu or Sisutu. Um, and it's not because, you know, Sisutu wouldn't be able to make as excellent an educational language as Afrikaans. It's just that due to the fact that 
Afrikaans people had a lot of political power due to apartheid and also had a lot of financial power, which speakers of other languages didn't, it wasn't afforded to them. Um, So a lot of funding just went into the development of that language. Um, And I think the reason probably why Afrikaans people initially were very, had such strong feelings about the development of their own language is because they were in turn oppressed by English colonizers who, you know, told them that they couldn't speak the language, it wasn't a proper language. And then they ironically decided to react by oppressing other languages and then (laughs) furthering their own language. So we see that that is um, a big reason why it developed that way. And now because due to apartheid, people were used to being served in Afrikaans and getting an education in Afrikaans. So when apartheid ended, that was something that they weren't willing to give up. Um, And much to the credit of our constitution, um, it said that, you know, you can't take away anybody's right to their home language, um, having access to their home language, whether in education or with the government serving them and so on. Um, So I think that's really great. The only problem now is that there hasn't been the funds, there hasn't been at times the political will to further develop other South African languages um, in the same way that Afrikaans has had. Um, And we see that even now, even though, of course, you know, it's now post-apartheid, Afrikaans still very much has a steady stream of resources, a lot of trusts, a lot of just wealthy individuals who are Afrikaans who want to support their their home language. Um, So Afrikaans already has this um, incredible head start and it, it still has a lot more support than other languages do, unfortunately. Yes, this is true. I, I love the fact that you highlighted the irony there. <laughs> I thought that one. <laughs> um, um, just, I think maybe we can talk a little bit about this idea of resources, particularly with today's lens on the education resources available to South Africans who um, need to use public schooling. It is quite obvious the government doesn't have, or I, I mean, I suppose, Uh, isn't putting enough resources into the development of other languages. Um, And I think what this does is put a strain on the entire system uh, monetarily. So what do you say to someone who says, including Afrikaans in the curriculum in 2021, is putting an unfair strain in terms of budget and resources on the school system? Could we not repurpose this budget for, um, you know, other subjects, perhaps, a language of code instead? Um, I definitely say that... Hmm, actually, let me quickly think. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a tough question. <laughs> yeah, no. So I say definitely something that I think is... Like getting rid of Afrikaans completely is something that I, I don't think would be good. Um, I yeah. think that that would put a lot of learners at a disadvantage. However, I feel like simply promoting Afrikaans everywhere is also not practical. Like if you're, for example, somebody who lives in Limpopo or KwaZulu-Natal, like there aren't a lot of Afrikaans people there. Forcing you to learn Afrikaans seems quite silly. Um, And I think definitely the funds could then be used to rather have access to a language that is spoken more commonly in that area, for example, Zulu or Venda. Um, Mm. But as I've said previously, the problem is that you know, there isn't that resources that has been invested yet in that language. And so we see that there isn't 
proper learning materials always or teachers that have been properly educated because they themselves had to go through an educational system that didn't have um, you know, their own home language being catered for. So I think it's very much something that we need to, that needs a, a lot more funding. And I think that's where, for example, like Afrikaans has a lot of funds. And I think definitely using the knowledge and using the funds that Afrikaans has already and funneling some of it to other South African languages could definitely be great. And I think um, some people might say, oh, but it's the government's work. But I mean, yes, of course, the government should, I think, be prioritizing this more, but they can also only do so much when Afrikaans has such a big advantage. And I think we cannot deny that, as I've said previously, Afrikaans is in the position that it is because it disadvantaged other languages because it shut them out. So if we want to continue... Um, having access to home language education in our own language, we have to then help others to also reach this position because we've only come to this position in part because we left them out. So I definitely think that's not something that we can just push aside. Yeah. I mean, you touched on something quite interesting there, which is the idea that Afrikaans be ruled out completely. Um, I watched an interview between uh, Gareth Cliff, um, a DA um, candidate, I believe his name is. Of course, the interview I'm referencing here is between Muzuli Rakivane, Gareth Cliff and John Stienhazen of the DA. Um, and they were discussing the fact that in institutions like Stellenbosch University, the talk of eradicating Afrikaans even on campus or um, as a main medium of education is kind of marginalizing the Afrikaans community. But what Muzuli mentioned in that interview, which interested me, was uh, around the cost of carrying the Afrikaans uh, medium of instruction for the university. So uh, w- her point was... With that backdrop, I think we should all understand um, what the language policy re- real issue is. Um, the national government cannot say to you that no university ever should ever teach in Afrikaans. The constitution is actually very clear when it comes to higher education. The whole point is that when it comes to minority language, it's a progressive realization, right? So I would think that we would have to first get a baseline sorted out, which means that more and more South Africans should have access to higher education. Once we've sorted out that baseline, what we can do is make a progressive realization towards incorporating minority languages such as Afrikaans, such as Xhosa, such as Zulu. So if you break the judgment, and particularly the one about Stellenbosch and Afriforum, um, I'm sorry, it wasn't Afroform, it was Haleka Concert. Um, fundamentally, Stellenbosch cited the fact that they actually cannot afford to have Afrikaans at this level not cancelled. It is absolutely not cancelled in Stellenbosch University. If you walk into a campus today, you will find that on campus it is English and Afrikaans used in different contexts at different percentages. So let's divorce ourselves of that. That is absolutely not the truth. And it is evident in their language policies. But the judgment fundamentally hangs on the fact that if a university cannot afford it, then they cannot be forced to cater for a minority language mm. right when the constitutional provision is for the progressive realization of minority languages when it comes to that. I wanted to ask, what do you think in terms of tertiary education 
um, needs to be prioritized in this moment. So are we looking at going, let's get these schools up to par with including everybody and making all the faculties rich? Or can schools still put their budgets into instructing students in Afrikaans? Um, so I think definitely with tertiary education, I mean, the first and foremost, um, the the goal is to make sure that everybody has access to that information and that in South Africa is definitely English. Um, but I think what I've seen thus far is that so the university has moved away a bit more from Afrikaans because just before I went to university, because I I was a first year in 2016, so that was right after the the open Stellenbosch yes. movement. Um, because the previous language policy had a lot more of a focus on Afrikaans and ended up sometimes excluding people. And we especially also saw this on the campuses itself with residences and so on. Um, so that was definitely, I'd at least say, the wrong approach because you see that people were being excluded on the basis of language. However, I think what would be ideal is and what I think the university is currently trying to do is that if people are struggling um, with certain terminology in English, if they are struggling just to follow the speed and the complexity, because you know every or most people in South Africa can speak English, but it's it's at different levels. And I think anybody who isn't an English home language speaker, we all know that sometimes your English is just it dries up for the day, and there's <laughs> nothing you can really do yeah. about it. Um, so I definitely think then having interpreters available for students, um, having learning materials available, um, just so that you can sometimes have that information in your home language is definitely something that's very beneficial for students and will help them better understand their subjects. But once again, we have the problem where Afrikaans has a lot of resources available and the terminology already exists in the language. Whereas um, I can only speak for the BA faculty at Stellenbosch University, but I didn't see a lot of like Isikosa language resources. Yeah. I know in ancient cultures, we received some terminology um, that they said, you know, that we could look at and that we could hopefully use in the future. Um, but the point still is that I don't think there were any lecturers, to my knowledge, who could speak the language well enough that they would be able to mark an entire essay in the language so it becomes it becomes difficult because you want to include as many languages as possible, but then the hard work needs to be done. Because my whole thing is that, yes, I want Afrikaans to be included. I want us to be a multilingual, you know, I want to have multilingual institutions and I want a functional multilingual country, but it doesn't help if it's only English and Afrikaans. That's That's not multilingual. We have to get all of the other languages along as well, because otherwise it's not fair to have Afrikaans. So I think it's a it's a difficult situation. Yeah, yeah, it's quite interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I think the, the most prickly part of the topic is around children failing if they fail the subject of Afrikaans. So you, as you know, in the department mm -hmm. in, in public school, if you fail Afrikaans, um, you fail the term. But for example, you could fail a subject like math and still um, make the grade for that term if your other averages are good enough. What do you think of that sort of approach? Um, what is the, the current education department sort of saying with this structure? 
I'm going to be completely honest with you. I did not even know this. Like <laughs> yeah. I thought I thought it was approached more or less the same as mathematics where it's, you know, like you have to get above say 30 or 40% for some of your subjects, but I didn't know that that a language subject was was being prioritized like that. So yeah. sorry, yeah, I, I didn't know. So it is a critical, yeah, it is a critical passing criteria, which is quite interesting. Mm. Um, and I mean, and, and that you didn't know is also interesting, but but, but it's like a, a, a big thing that kind of is stirring the pot um, on this topic. I think from my own perspective, I think if you want to offer um, people their home language in school, then... I suppose it makes sense to have that be part of the grading system, but I think prioritizing the language in that way doesn't make sense, especially in our current climate. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't really. Yeah, I've, I haven't really thought about this because, as I said, I just wasn't aware <laughs> of that. Because I myself, I went to an Afrikaans medium primary school and high school, so you know, we all just had to have Afrikaans. Um, as as a home language subject. So I just wasn't aware of this at all. It's actually very intense. Yeah, it is quite intense. Um, I think if you don't have any other sort of closing notes, I feel quite satisfied that we've covered a lot of the questions that we had. Would you like to add anything in particular? Um, I think something I just like to point out, um, just because I feel like in this like age of everybody has access to information and everybody is able to you know go and give their opinion on something um i just like to 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 mention that for example my opinion is very much based on of course my own experiences and so on but also um one of our modules that i did in my ba degree was language planning um which very much looks at you know the policies um, of language that are used at inter institutions um, such as a government, a university, a school. Um, and we did a lot of work by Dr. Neville Alexander. So a lot of my my thinking was influenced yeah. by him. And he was this, uh, he was during the apartheid years, he was a, a revolutionary, you know, he helped, um, he was part of the National Liberation Front. And after apartheid, he was a big, uh, language policy expert. So he, you know, always spoke about the need for multilingualism um, and to rather not have this English hegemony, just because it would be, I feel, such a waste if everybody in South Africa cannot reach their full potential simply because of something like a language barrier. Um, that always, to Absolutely. me, seems... Um, quite sad. And, you know, just because somebody can't necessarily express themselves 100% concisely and clearly in English, that doesn't mean that their knowledge is less important. It doesn't make them less intelligent. Um, you know, it just means that they're not that good at English. It's like if somebody said, oh, you know, Leah, you don't understand biology well, therefore you are in general just not intelligent. You know, that's such a such a silly way to think of it. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd just say that's something I'd like to add. Thank you so much for that. And thanks also for giving us your time for today's interview. No, anytime. Thank you so much for having me. This was really amazing. That's our podcast today. I would have loved an opportunity to chat to someone from the education department to understand what the future plans are around the inclusion of specific languages like Afrikaans. What are we preparing our youth for? What are we looking at including going forward? 
As always, thank you so much for joining us. We'll meet you back here with our next episode. Cheers. As always, we would love to hear from you. Do you have a question that makes you say, hmm, why is that? Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at why is that? And let us know if there's anything on your mind that you'd like us to cover. You're also welcome to give us feedback on the existing podcast episodes that are out there wherever you get your podcasts. Why Is That is produced and hosted by me, Khabiseng Mudao. Production help from Rhea Dile Musweu and audio production help from Garabo Ramahashi. Mm-hmm.